Hey everyone, it is George Kuros and welcome back to another uh, best of episode of the Innovators Mindset podcast for the month of October 2021. And if you're watching this on video or maybe even listening on audio, you see uh, you might be hearing my audio is not as good as it usually is. Um, my background, I'm actually in a hotel and I was actually supposed to be home. And uh, I was going to be home, be able to record this, but some plans had changed and I'll be honest with you, in a way that I actually didn't want them to change. I'm supposed to be home right now, and I'm kind of bummed about it, obviously. And uh, it made me kind of think about how sometimes um, the things that we want to happen most in our lives, uh, when they don't, um, sometimes it's a good thing. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it just kind of made me reflect on some of the things that happened in my life that I thought I really wanted that didn't work out and actually led to something way better. And I, I, I think of this one time, and I don't know if I've ever really shared this story, but I actually um, was kind of done with teaching. I, I know I've talked about this before. I was kind of done with teaching, and uh, I decided I was going to give it one more year, and I actually ended up uh, getting a job at a school in Parkland School Division under my the best principal I've ever had. Her name is Kelly Wilkins. And if you've listened to me for any amount of time, if you've read the stuff that I write about, Kelly um, has had a massive impact on my life. And I'm so blessed that, you know, I got to work for her um, in several capacities in my career as an educator. And what people don't know and I haven't really shared is when I accepted that job, I was so excited about it, but I actually got an interview for what I thought was a dream job. And this dream job uh, was actually going to be with the Department of Education, uh, doing educational technology stuff. And it was actually what I was really hoping to eventually do. And I actually, um, I already accepted this job. And, and I felt like it was kind of a bad practice for me to accept a job, take an interview, and then quit before I even started. So I actually was really nervous, but I felt, you know, the best thing that I could do is actually talk to this new employer and say like, hey, here's an opportunity for me um, that I really wanted. And I know I've already accepted the job. Would you be okay with me taking the interview? And I thought that was just the ethical thing to actually do. And even though I was nervous about it, um, I, I, I made that phone call. And so I actually called Kelly and I was expecting like, how dare you take this? We took a chance on you, blah, blah, blah. Right. And shockingly, what she had said to me was, hey, George, um, here's the thing. If that's your dream job and you don't take this opportunity, you, you're going you're gonna to you're gonna regret it. And we don't want you in this space where you're not happy here, you know, in this place. And, and I, I don't want to say this in a, 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 a negative way, but we can find another teacher, right? But, you know, your dream is your dream. And so take the interview. And if you don't get it, we got, you got this job here and it's, you know, it's a perfect backup plan and we'd, we'd love to have you and understand if things, um, you know, work out, then it, it, you know, it'd be our loss, but we will we'll find a way forward. And I'll tell you, this is not the response I was expecting. I was expecting like, how could you do this to me? You know, how could you do this to their team? But really what was weird was that actually made me want to work for Kelly, right? Now I still took the interview and I'll be honest, yeah, I didn't get the job, and I think I would have taken it still, but when I didn't get the job, I didn't even care. I was really excited to work with somebody like this, and having that opportunity to work with Kelly totally changed my career, and I just wonder 
what would have happened if I would have actually got what was my dream job at that time? And so I was just kind of thinking about that, that sometimes, you know, think we're not happy with something that's happened, but maybe when we look back, do we see it as an opportunity? Now, I, I took every advantage of working with Kelly. Um, I learned from her. I really kind of changed my attitude towards education. Like it was, you know, a huge amount her leadership, but it was also a change in my attitude. But just kind of thinking about that, sometimes the things that we want the most might not, and that we don't get might actually be things that work out for the best. So I just want to share that little story with you. And what you're going to hear is a lot of other great stories from amazing educators. But I wanted to share that with you just as a kind of little reminder about sometimes the things that we go through. But I hope you enjoy this. Uh, George Crows from a hotel room. Welcome back to another highlight, ep- highlight episode of the Innovators Mindset podcast. Let's start off first question, right? And I know this one, I'm ready for this one because last time when we hit it, I was not ready for it. Uh, so it is a very powerful answer. And uh, can you talk about a teacher that inspired you and why? Yes. So I would like to talk about my first grade teacher, Mrs. Bogus. Shout out to Mrs. Bogus. Okay, we're doing it early. I'm not doing it after. <laughs> uh, I like so this, this is kind of like the. Yeah, old school Will Ferrell, kind of like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I just really thought that. Um, So in order to fully, I think, feel the impact that Mrs. Bogus had on me, I need to go back and share a little personal story. Uh, So when I was in kindergarten, actually, my dad was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia and um, he battled cancer through uh, the winter into into the winter of my first grade year. And I can still remember when my mom had to come home and share that just impossibly difficult news with me that he had passed away. And I can still picture myself sitting in the bedroom with her. There was a canopy bed and, you know, I had a nice quilt um, on my bed and brown shag carpet. I can just see my little self sitting next to her. But I, didn't, I remember that, but I don't remember the words. But she remembers it very vividly. And as she shared this difficult news, um, the way she describes it is that my very small little self like flies off the bed and runs to the window and overcome by um, grief. Um, you know, my face is hot, tears pouring down my face. Like I'm pulling the blinds off of the window. I mean, that's just how much feeling was in my little body. Mm-hmm. Like I was able to pull them off the window. And I turned around to face her. And my first question to her out of any anything. My first question was, are we going to have enough food to eat? Mm -hmm. And that's a really difficult part of the story for me to share, but I I find it important to share because I think sometimes we get really caught up in talking about, oh, we're preparing these kids for the real world. Mm -hmm. Um, That's very real. There's not, doesn't get much more real than that. And so for two weeks, I stayed home with her. Uh, This reality that, you know, a parent could be taken from me forever was very vivid for me. So we clung to each other in this very difficult time, but eventually I had to go back to school. And I remember the day that I had to go back to school was a nerve wracking one. And I was very anxious about going back and I can picture her little powder blue Toyota Camry driving me around the circle drive to the front of the school. And I turned to, you know, walk out the door and I'm thinking, wow, it's going to take a Goliath level strength to get this door open and step out this door. And I look up and my first grade teacher, Mrs. Bogus, had a bunch of my friends from my class waiting for me at the front door, their little faces pressed up against the glass, 
cheering for me and waiting for me and beckoning me to come in as if they were rolling out the red carpet for my re-entry into school. And what I love about that story is that she took something that was impossibly difficult um, and she knew exactly what I needed to have the strength to come back. She turned it into a celebration. She created um, a very special moment for me. So, uh, and she really had my back multiple times that school year. And I think that, um, you know, there's lots of little stories of teachers who are doing that every day. They probably, like, she might not even remember that story. Um, but like, I'm almost 40 years old. I'll be 40 in June. Like, and I still like very vividly that Mrs. Bogus story is like a big hallmark story, um, for me in my lifetime. There, and you, you know, there's no way she doesn't remember that. I know that too, right? Like, and I think that part of it too is that we go through that as educators, um, you know, with our kids, we go through that process and how uh, just, it's just amazing. I actually like, I'm wearing a hoodie and it has a pocket and I'm like holding my hands. Uh, just, just, just so much feeling in there because like, like you said this beautifully too, this is not just the story of your teacher, but so many teachers that have done this for kids that, don't get appreciated. Don't, you know, feel that uh, welcome. So I want to give the just amazing, give that for all the teachers that made that impact. And so that, that story, I just, that's so powerful. It, it is, you know, um, something that I think about too. And, and, and the other thing you said too, and I think it's, it's really powerful um, is that notion of like people talk about like, Hey, we got to make things relevant and you know, how. Like, you know, kids are dealing with some pretty real things too. And I think sometimes not acknowledging that uh, is hurtful to them. And, you know, that, that that's something I, I'm not going to build on it anymore. I just, I think that story is just amazing. And I so appreciate you sharing that because I know it cannot be easy to actually share that. So thanks for being, I know you love, you love you some Brene Brown. So thanks for being vulnerable. <laughs> right. I want to, I want to go back one part and I think this is good advice because I know a lot of people that listen to this are either um, aspiring administrators uh, you know or maybe you know wanting to go into different roles and that notion that you were kind of just out there you know being present and being uh, you know just kind of like before you had that opportunity you were showing that you had the ability to do it right yes. and I think that that to me is really important I remember uh, right before I became an administrator uh, my first year, my literally my first day, we met superintendents at the school district, which, which tells me a lot about the school district I worked in is that I didn't like wait years or get into trouble to meet a superintendent. They like welcomed all the new staff. They were there for that. And I remember I actually went to go one of the associate superintendents and I said, Hey, look, I'm really good with technology stuff. And uh, I would love to actually have the opportunity to lead um, some initiatives at the school district level. So if you ever need anything, please let me know. Mm -hmm. And within a week of being in this district, I was already getting called to central office to do stuff because I had actually, you know, went to that space. And I think kind of the moral of the story for lack of a better term is that when you show that you can lead before you're asked to do it, that's what makes effective leaders. That's what, you know, really, and that really started opening up doors for me because it wasn't, I wasn't, asked, I wasn't getting paid extra or anything like that. I just, I wanted to progress in my career and I had showed the initiative uh, to do that. And it led to, you know, a lot of great opportunities. So, mm -hmm. uh, and awesome. I'm glad, uh, I hope Sonia get to listen to this, uh, as well. And I appreciate, uh, that the shout out. So last question, and you, you, you've done a ton of learning. I've connected with you, um, over the years. So when you look back at the beginning of your career, 
you know, what, what advice would you give to yourself as a first year teacher? Well, I know a lot of people get the advice of don't be seen or heard for about three years until you actually understand what you're doing. Hmm. And that's far from the truth. I think, I think new teachers have a lot of brilliant ideas and I think their voice is valid. In addition, don't be afraid to ask questions. I think that was the thing that helped me the most was I understood that I had a mentor teacher and I understood that there were people on my team that I could ask. And although it was uncomfortable to show that you didn't know something on the campus, it was extremely valuable to get that their information and their perspective and learn through that. Similar to the mentorship piece of trying to get into admin, you need to make sure that you're asking the questions and it doesn't matter if it's a thousand questions, it probably will be. It's okay to ask and get that knowledge because if you if you don't know something, you're, the expectation is still there for you to get it done. And so it's important to try and learn as quickly as possible. And yes, it does take multiple years for you to feel comfortable and to feel like you've mastered the curriculum, the classroom management piece. I mean, there's a lot of components to teaching, but it's extremely valuable to keep getting knowledge and seeking. See, we're three-part beings, right? Mind, body, and spirit. And so usually when we're having difficulties focusing, it's because biologically we have um, a lot of adrenaline that keeps our mind racing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so also there's a comparison between people that are highly organized and structured. The sounds that best suit them are like soft jazz music, um, music that has melodies that you can follow. And for people that are on the go that uh, have schedules that are more flexible, that that are not as so highly structured, sounds that don't have uh, direct rhythms mm -hmm. and um, melodies to follow can help them decrease some of that anxiety. With the sound bowls, what's happening, there's, there's seven bowls and they are correlated to the seven energy centers in the bottom of the body. And so every time the bowl is strummed, um, it releases a frequency that you hear that kind of just moves around the internal body chemistry and gets those hormones that are not regulated or not uh, balanced due to trauma in mm -hmm. the body to start pumping and going. So what you'll find is that the longer that you're able to meditate or listen to these sound healings, naturally the, the adrenaline, all of the other hormones that have built up that, that are toxic in your body will start to lower. Your blood pressure will start to lower because your body's naturally producing what it needs to produce. When we're in um, traumatic situations or, or uh, hurried situations, we're producing a lot of adrenaline mm -hmm. in our body and, and high levels of that over time pushes us through situations that sometimes we can't think through all the way. Mm -hmm. Our body responds before our brain does. And so when you're able to kind of regulate those emotions and, and calm down, you're able to make better decisions for higher emotional payoff. But it takes practice. I was the same right. way. And now when I put on the headphones and listen to um, like binaural beats, mm -hmm. which is beats that have conflicting sounds to help... Um, regulate the you know, the hemispheres in your brain so mm -hmm. it helps for deeper states of meditation now honestly it feels like heaven when i hear it because right. it's just um just a release have you seen those videos of people the asmr like yeah yeah. Whispering in? yeah it's it's sort of doing the same thing because we're in a society with so much energy and so much um on the go right and so when you have to calm yourself down to focus and listen, yeah. 
it's releasing those hormones and helping regulate your emotions. I'm gonna I'm gonna put I'm gonna like start a paid podcast listening because I feel like I'm yeah. getting I'm getting some gold right now. Because like yeah, actually, I mean, yeah, I love it. Seriously, and then and I know people listening to this. So okay, so just I want to try to understand this a little bit deeper. So yeah. it's not it's not just like this sound will work for everybody. It's actually kind of identifying some of the ways that you are and kind of identifying some of those different. Is that is that my yeah. understand that correctly? Because that, that to yes. me, like, you know, I just, I think a lot of times it's, um, I, like if I get a massage, it's like, mm-hmm. this music's not doing anything. It's actually making me more anxious sometimes. Right. And maybe it's yeah. kind of just how yeah. I'm wired a little bit. Is that, am I reading yeah. that right? It could be right. You got to mm-hmm. find what works for you, mm-hmm. but then also there's a number of things, right? When you set yourself down for meditation, um, sometimes people feel guilty. There's a number of thoughts that goes through their head. Like, is this really working? Do I even have time for this? So they don't even mm-hmm. gift themselves right. the time of silence, of mm-hmm. just not move, not moving, um, relaxing your brain. And so when you get into those, those, that space of just letting what comes to you and observe your thoughts, right? Observe what's happening so that you can make better decisions. Um, it prepares you. It, it, it makes you able to regulate yourselves in difficult situations. And so that you're taking what you're practicing and you can apply it to real life, right? Life is supposed to be a walking meditation. If you think about it, you're supposed to always be aware of what's happening, what's happening to yourself Mm -hmm. so that when you're encountering something, you get to choose if you want to experience it or not. We don't have to experience everything that comes into our face. Right. But the problem is people get so triggered by what's in front of them because of a biological response Mm -hmm. that's inside of them. Think about, I don't know, think about a situation that happened to you that caused some sort of trauma that, you know, you'll have a trigger to. Mm -hmm. Right. It's stored in your body. Mm -hmm. All of that, all of that energy, all of the hormones, the built up hormone levels are stored. So when you have a similar trigger that you encounter, your body will respond faster than your brain will. Unless you put yourself in different environments to get what you need naturally. When you think of a teacher who inspired you, like who is a teacher like in your, maybe as a student, maybe as a colleague that inspired you and why? Uh, sure. Well, when, when I was in um, Springfield College where I was an undergrad and at the time I was kind of, you know, sowing our oats, right? We kind of go to college, we kind of figure out what we're going to do. And one of the things that my, my teacher, um, Suzanne Campbell, uh, she, she recognized quickly is I like to talk. I like to talk in class. I like to do projects. I, and anytime we had to write a paper, I'd, I'd always have a great excuse why I could do a project or I could speak mm-hmm. or I could find a way to get around writing because it was definitely my weak spot. So instead of just owning that, I found a way around it. And even though I thought I was incredibly sneaky at 18 to this doctor college professor I didn't think could figure me out. So she finally pulled me aside and she said, Hey, listen, um, I know you don't want to write, but I need you to write. This was a college level English class. Mm -hmm. She says, what if you keep a journal for the entire freshman year and I'll let you out of any of the formal writing process. So I'm like, uh, hell yeah, I'll write a journal. Like, well, this would be easy. And it it turned out, and I still have it, and it turned out that I documented every day of my freshman year, but what it allowed me to do is express myself. And some of the things I wouldn't, you know, I'm shocked she'd even read, but she'd make comments about Friday nights out in in (laughs) 
different things, but <laughs> she would allow me to just write and she would always meet with me after and be like sharing some things like, okay, why don't you turn this into an actual story? Why don't you? And she saw how I learned. And because I wasn't a real formal writer as a younger student, she didn't hold that against me. I mean, she literally let me write a journal for the entire year instead of five major papers. And it really showed me once I became a teacher, because I went for elementary education, I looked back and at the time I was like, oh, this is cool. I get to write a journal joke with my friends. I'm like, ah, I got out of this assignment. But what it, al <laughs> what it allowed me to do is actually be more articulate, be, bring more ideas into it, share some of the things that I wanted to share from my lens. Um, I'm sure it entertained her weekly to read what I had to write in there. But it was something that showed me early on that if the teacher can reach a student at their capacity and things mm -hmm. that they do well, I was, I was psyched to write each week. One, because I'm like, how can I shock her this week? But it just turned mm. into a collaborative opportunity for me to grow as a writer and for me to start to just her, – her goal was just to get me to write every day. Right. And, and and that's what happened. And that was something I'll never forget. And Susan Campbell? Is it Susan Campbell? Is that yeah. correct? Susan Campbell, if you are listening. Oh, what's up? There you go. So we're going to talk about – I'm going to ask you – I'm going to talk about this analogy I shared with you. Um, okay. And you, you know the one about the refing, right? Yes. So we talked about this. And so, you know, as a superintendent, like, obviously, st stuff is, it's not like everything's just smooth sailing lately, right? There's got to be some stuff that you deal with. And the analogy I shared with you is that I, I, I liken being a superintendent, actually, to be honest, you, a teacher, not yeah. just superintendents, uh, but basically anyone in education to when I used to ref basketball, especially at the high levels. And the thing that I always say is that when you ref basketball, uh, or any sport, you are wrong 100% of the time to 50% of the people. It just depends on which 50%, whatever the day, right? And it, it feels like that all the time. And, you know, people feel that. So how how do you, instead of like talking about like some of the things that you struggle with, how do you, how do you make tough decisions when you know that you're, you're going to get pushback from some group right away like how do you how do you actually come to the decisions that you make because i think that is actually much more important than necessarily the decisions you make or the the things that you have because like people you know sometimes if you're just making a decision because you're scared of this group mm -hmm. probably not going to be best for kids right so like okay. how do you how do you make decisions when you know you're going to get pushback on stuff that is that's a that's a great question. George. I actually just uh, made that question up, and yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, that was a that was a good question. George. Yeah, I, 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 I was. Probably, I, was I, I think you probably have a book somewhere. And I you're don't. Just I was, I'm not gonna lie. I'm like that is a good question. <laughs> All right. Well, so I will say to you that um, as this has been my this has kind of been my mantra ever since I was a building administrator, mm -hmm. and and this was shortly after I became a a, a parent. I became a dad. Um, I would always say to everyone and anyone, whenever I had the opportunity to be in front of a group that I got to talk to, especially educators or those people working with me, um, I would say I would say to them that um, making decisions, um, especially tough decisions, has to be grounded in what it is that you would want to have for your own kids. Mm -hmm. You make decisions or you have to make decisions that are based on what you think is right. What you think is going to benefit kids, 
the majority of kids, right. hopefully all of kids, right. in the most impactful way. And you have to see it through the eyes of not just a person who's doing a job, but as a person who is invested because you have your own kids that could benefit from that. Mm-hmm. So my, I, make, I, make, I make decisions based on what it is that I want for my own kids, my own biological kids. That actually when, so for me, this is, this is as, as a parent, this is, I'm taking off my educator hat as a parent, this is my expectation. So Sean, if my kids are in your district, I would say to you, Sean, all I ask of you, never put my kid in a class that you wouldn't put your own kids. And that's, that's what I want 100%. That's what I want 100%. And I would say that to my staff too, all the time. Mm -hmm. If I walk into a classroom and I see something that I wouldn't want for my own kids, Mm -hmm. I've got, I've got concerns and those concerns have to be addressed. Yeah. And I, I so appreciate that because I think sometimes um, we can get caught up in how some of the adults are talking. Right. And it's, I, I, I always try to assume positive intent. I, I really do. Right. And even, even as a, as a principal uh, you know, in my time, sometimes when I feel like a conversation was getting lost for me, right? Like was going in a, a negative direction. I would actually say like to uh, uh, the parent, the caregiver, hey, hey, we're here to do what's best for your child, correct? And I would actually, I wouldn't just make it as a statement. I'd make it, I'd ask it as a question mm-hmm. because I wanted them to, uh, to agree with that statement to center them and myself. Because I think sometimes... Um, it would be easy for my ego to get lost in that situation where it's now like, okay, now I just, I'm just going to like argue with this parent because like, I, I'm not liking the situation. And then you could easily lose yourself and not focus on the kid. Right? right. And so I think that was for me, like I always tell people when you're having some of those tough decisions, you have to have that kind of centering moment where people are reminded why they are there. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, um, I'm going to ask you each this, this, the same question, uh, somebody listening to, uh, and I'm gonna start with, with, uh, park, uh, I, someone says to you, uh, well, like, what's one thing, what's one thing that we can start on our journey? What, what advice would you give them park? Go. I think it would be to really step back and, and start with that question. What is it we do? Mm-hmm. And, and, and be and and don't use jargon. I, I don't like jargon because a lot of it that's the flavor of the month type thing. Is that um, if somebody asked me, "What is it you do, Park?" and 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 Jessica and Scott and and the Alvarado community as well as the Giano community in in the Roland District, that is a world's greatest school is um, we change lives and impact futures. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. And that's what today was about. And that was my goal. I don't know if I reached it, but that's what I was attempting to do. And that's what teachers do every day Mm -hmm. is attempt to change lives and impact futures, not, not prepare kids to be college and career ready. Right. And so start with that. um, I guess, that point of asking yourself, what is it we do? Is that, um, it is a great place to start a conversation with staff 
and and students and ask and see what their responses are because part of this process is not only the staff but it's the kids because the kids hold the teachers accountable for right. honor mm -hmm. and that's the beauty of watching it when the teachers get out of line or scott gets out of line mm -hmm. jessica never gets out of line is that um they're going to they're going to hold them accountable with honor I love that. Jessica, what do you got? What's the um, one thing to start? You know, I think it would just be to simplify. I just feel like um, I know, you know, we talked earlier about the exhaustion of an educator. Um, that exhaustion comes from all of the things that we have to focus on, all of the things that we have to juggle, right? Mm -hmm. So I think my focus would be through all of those things, through everything that I'm, uh, through every decision I'm making, through all the strategies I'm trying, through all of the um, the actions that I'm demonstrating, what is it that I want to communicate? Um, and to really to really dig through all of those things, and and to ask myself, in doing this, what is it that I want to message to the kids in front of me? What is it that I want to message um, to to our community? And so, yeah, it would just, it would be to, to dig and to simplify in that way. I love it. Scott, you're up. Let me start by saying this is a great question. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering because like Jessica didn't say anything. So I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> all the time, man, all the time. Um, so I'm going to give kind of a two part. The first one would be um, that the, the, I, I, use this thing all the time the lens you choose to use will help you find what you're looking for like if it, it really we have to be very intentional about which lens we choose to look through when doing this work when looking in, at our at our students at our staff at our families our communities our, co our colleagues and co-workers um it's our choice to decide on which lens we're going to look through Mm -hmm. when interacting with all those people and how we see them right and then the other part would be that we got to walk the talk mm -hmm. you know when we're talking about the stuff like you're saying on the on the wall and all that other stuff if our if our actions do not align with our beliefs um then it's going to be a big mess for everyone we cannot say one thing and do another we cannot communicate one thing and have um, contradicting actions um, uh, to those words, right? Um, our kids and families will call us on it immediately. They will they will know it immediately, and they will respond immediately in the same way. And so it would be those two things that there's a certain lens we need to look through when when doing this work, and we got to be we got to really be about it. Okay, so I, I got I got two things to, to kind of bring this all together. So there's this quote that I'm known for, uh, this idea of make the positives so loud, the negatives are almost impossible here. And I get crapped on for this quote all the time. They're like, oh, you don't think there's negatives in the world? It's like, I'm like, no, nobody's saying that. So yep. like, if you look at the last little while, there's a lot of crap that's happened in our world, you know, all this other stuff. I do not have time for people that complain about everything all the time. It's not about not addressing negatives. It's about finding a way forward. Yeah. That is what I've always advocated for. And so being very clear on this, I think part of it too is it is identifying, you know, things that are not working. It is identifying, you know, problems that we're having in our world, in our schools and, and things like that. But I, we, all, we all know 
let's pretend let's not pretend we don't we all know people that got a problem with every single solution no matter what you're doing it's wrong right we we've all encountered that in our lives and i just don't have time for that because i, I we need to move forward right because like as y'all said this is about our kids right and the, the thing that i've always focused on my my job is to help kids find a path to success in a way that's meaningful to them not to define what success is they have to figure that stuff out themselves we, we give them the tools to do that but the thing that I want to give as my like one thing to do uh, is based on this conversation, surround yourself with awesome people. You know, what's awesome. You're really help. Ideas. You're help- actually helping me write my blog post right now, which is kind of cool because you're reminding me of something. Uh, okay. And I'm going to tell this in the, in the blog post now. So I actually early on in my career, I was uh, I was the first new hire at a school in, I think, 15 years. OK, so it was a very veteran staff. It was a small town, small community. And there was a point where I did not feel comfortable going into the staff room. And I would, I would eat lunch with the kids every day. And, you know, people would say, like, what do you I just love eating lunch with the kids. But that was not totally true. I did. I did enjoy that. And I would do it sometimes earlier. And there was a vice principal there. His name was Dale. I cannot remember his last name. And I feel bad because I want to give him credit. And he's like, hey you okay? Like, I don't ever see in the staff room. Right. And he kind of, I said, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable because of A, B and C. And he really kind of took me under his wing to a point where I did feel better in that space and doing that. And I, I remember that distinctly. And I think it's just kind of like, um, it could have been, but, but also on the other hand, some people might just say, no, I, it, there's nothing wrong. I just, this is kind of how, like, you know, I know sometimes that when I'm speaking at a conference, I like, this is like, this is like confession time. Uh, I get talked to quite a bit and sometimes I'm just overwhelmed and uh, I'll just go sit in the bathroom and I'll close the door and I'll just sit down. Like it's my office for like, for 10 minutes just to not talk to anybody. Right. Cause I just need to like, Oh, I can't talk to anybody right now. And so I understand people doing that too. So I think part of it when I was kind of listening to you thinking about that is that I was really appreciative that somebody took notice and i think it's just kind of just be aware of that community because maybe maybe it was just maybe i just didn't maybe i just wasn't a staff room guy right and maybe that's that but just kind of check in with people because you know sometimes they do that so i, I just that was one thing there too is that uh my my grade four teacher miss butler was my i was like is this the same miss butler and i doubt it <laughs> but i was like oh like shout outs shout out to like miss butler right so Miss Butler, okay, Miss Butler, she wrote, this is one of my favorite things. And I did this every year when I was a teacher because of Miss Butler. She actually, at the end of the year, she wrote like a really long card to every single kid. <laughs> and this is a little bit embarrassing. I was like super into the Smurfs, right? Because, you know, Smurfs. Why are you laughing? Yeah. This is why I, I didn't know. go in the staff room because everyone's funny. making fun of me about the Smurfs. I just think <laughs> it's funny. Well, I haven't I love the, Smurfs. the Smurfs in a long time. Well, come on, Papa Smurf. Grumpy Smurf, <laughs> Brainy Smurf. Which Smurf would you be if you could? Be <laughs> oh, this is great. I love this. Okay, I I don't know. I'd be you know depending on the day, it could be Grumpy Smurf, <laughs> right? So I hope sometimes I'm Brainy Smurf. You know, <laughs> right? So, anyways, she wrote on this card that she was shaped like a Smurf. Like just all the positive things about me and uh, my parents owned a restaurant. I used to bring pizza to the classroom. She talked about how much she loved when he did that and how much people appreciated that. And every year as a teacher, I, I took the time to write those long notes 
two kids. I didn't do it on Smurfs. I should have. That would have been awesome. But but she did like, I don't think she didn't do Smurfs for everybody, right? Like it was very personalized to me and to like other kids in the classroom. And so I just, I remember that. And she, that, that really made an impact on me. And I, I always think about that. And I think about that in the way we recognize kids, things like that too. And it's kind of like interesting how your, you know, Francis Butler for you really, you know, talked about how important it is to really recognize everyone. And I had a teacher who did that for me when I was a kid and then taught me to do that for kids too. So again, shout out to Miss Butler's. <laughs>